go to children's church this morning. It's the 4th of July weekend, so I want to do something a little bit different, maybe a little bit fun for us today. The sermon is entitled, The Great Avenger, and uh, that word avenger has taken on a different meaning uh, in our culture recently, as we know Marvel's Avengers. So we have something on the screen for you we'd like for you guys to do. Uh, kids, tell your parents uh, who your favorite Avenger is so they can put it on the screen and vote. If you put it on the reverse uh, thing, you can do it one of three ways. If you put the, the last slide up there, you can do it on the app. Yes, we do have an app. It is the Northwest Baptist app. We are hip and new and tech all together. Uh, you can do that. It's under events. You could also do it northwestbaptist.church slash poll or use the QR code. You can put the QR code on there now. But uh, so we want to poll and as we get a little bit further in the sermon, we're going to release that poll. Hope somebody's going to send you a text message to see who the poll is, okay? It's there. So our kids are now dismissed to Children's Church if you're uh, pre-K through third grade and would like to go with Miss Hope this morning. It is now your time. So tell your parent who you voted for as your Avenger, and we will go from there. <clears throat> now, uh, it is July 4th weekend, and we have a big party uh, starting this afternoon at Northwest, we do it big. It's at Shawnee Lake. You all are all invited to come. Uh, we'll have, uh, they've been smoking brisket and ribs for uh, all day today and yesterday. And so we'll have food about 6 o'clock, 6 to 6.30 uh, out there. If you go on Lake Road, it's all the way to the end of Lake Road. So if you find Lake Road, it is the last house. You cannot go any further um, there and we'll have some water sports and food and fireworks. So uh, that'll be great starting at three o'clock. And uh, if you want to get in the water and brave the heat, that's great. If you don't, just come later tonight. There'll be plenty of food and fireworks will be later. So it is Nahum, okay? And it may take you a little while to get to Nahum this morning because you may not know that Nahum is a book of the Bible. Um, it is the seventh minor prophet. It is one of the least known books of the Bible. If a poll were taken today, there would be a large percentage of people in churches that would say Nahum is not in the Bible. I, I'm not going to mention names, but some of my family members uh, said this morning, I'm, I'm praying for you as you preach Naaman. I said, that's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching Nahum, but that's okay. That's okay, people. We're, we're going to get our Bibles out and find it. They might, some people might even say that Nahum is more likely a character or planet in a Star Wars movie. Amen. In fact, if you run down the minor prophets, you might even get confused. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Chewbacca, Tatooine. Who, who knows what else is there? But Nahum is not well known as it is the oracle of God's judgment upon the city of Nineveh. Now that's probably why it's not very well known. People say, what does this have to do with 
me. It's Nineveh. It's Assyria. It's not even Israel. And God is pronouncing judgment upon the nation of Assyria, specifically to its capital city, Nineveh. Remember Jonah. He went to a place called Nineveh. It's Jonah 2.0. Remember, as we saw, uh, the, the Assyrians are probably some of the most wicked and ruthless people that have ever lived on the face of the earth. They decimated towns, villages, and cities. When someone would say the Assyrians were coming, they would run and hide. The Assyrians were known for their treatment of humanity in some of the most wicked and vile things that they could ever do to humans. Remember, God sent the prophet Jonah to the city of Nineveh. He didn't go the first time, no-go Jonah, but then he went after he was swallowed by a whale and spit up. He went to Nineveh and he declared that in 40 days, Nineveh would be overthrown. And the king and the people said maybe God will relent and they fasted and they called upon the name of the Lord and God relented of their destruction. And some years later, God would use these wicked Assyrians to wipe out his own people in northern part of Israel, specifically the city of Samaria, for their adultery, their Idolatry, their adultery of their God, but their idolatry and their worship of other gods. This was about 722 BC, and the Assyrians would make their way to the city of Jerusalem. So after they conquered the north of Israel, they came to the, the city of Jerusalem where God's temple was. The, 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 the capital of Judah, God's jewel, God's city. And in 701 BC, they stand outside of the city ready to take it. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, says to all the people who are on the wall, seeing the vast army of Assyrians surrounding them, And he says to them, don't listen to your king Hezekiah. He says, your God will save you. But he can't save you. And he says, has any of the gods of the nations saved his people from the king of Assyria? Come out and make peace with me. So that you can have your own vine, fig tree, and water well under my rule and reign. Second Kings 18.35, this is what he says specifically, exactly, who among all the gods of the lands has delivered their land out of my hand, this is the king of Assyria talking, that the Lord should, should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. So he challenges the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
he challenges the God of Israel as the king of Assyria proclaims himself and his gods above all gods, including Yahweh. And King Hezekiah, when he hears this, he goes to the house of the Lord. Amen? He tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth, and he calls to the Lord his God. And the word of the Lord comes from the prophet Isaiah to King Hezekiah. And this is what it says, Second Kings 19, verse 6. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord. Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, talking about uh, the king of Assyria, that he shall hear a rumor return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Later, during this whole series of events, the Lord, the angel of the Lord would come and strike down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The king would hear about wars in his own country and would return to Nineveh where his sons would strike him with the sword as the prophet Isaiah predicted. So that day, God spared Jerusalem and Hezekiah from the Assyrians. And I wanted to tell you this story to see the hatred between the two countries. Assyria was the enemy of God's people. And 50 to 75 years later, God would send the prophet Nahum at the height of the Assyrian dominance to declare Assyria's destruction specifically in the capital of Nineveh, which would happen in 612 BC, in which the Medes would take the capital of Nineveh. An unfathomable turn of events, the world power at the time becoming destroyed. But through the prophet of Nahum, God is saying, I will not forget your wickedness, Assyria, I will be an avenger. So this is how he begins the book of Nahum. Look at verse 1 with me. The oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Look at verse 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. You think that avenger word was first by the Marvel comics? I don't think so. The prophet Nahum understood that greatly. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Obviously that word 
Uh, Avenger has become synonymous with the Marvel characters in our culture. I'm I'm convinced that every movie, you can can try and, and, and tell me otherwise, but I'm convinced that every movie, every great movie has some sort of a gospel theme in it. And Avengers is no different. Two of the five highest grossing movies of all time are, guess what? Avengers movies. Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War. The idea that good would overcome evil. That evil done would by no means go unpunished. The ideas of justice and salvation... The humble being exalted in Captain America. The idea of sacrifice as Iron Man gives his life in the last Avenger to save the world. Sorry, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. But, you know, Hollywood has its twists that create difficulties even with biblical themes, right? We understand this. But what makes the movie so good? So who is our favorite Avenger? They're going to show that on the screen. We, we voted, and now we're going to see who our favorite Avenger is. It is 29%. Black Panther is our winner. Captain America is 17.5. And third place is Iron Man, 14.4. I'm not going to lie. I voted for Captain America. So... Uh, that's the 4th of July weekend. You had to vote for Captain America, but he got second place. Black Panther is a great character. Fantastic too. But as Christians, we engage in the culture, but we are not consumed by the culture. Amen. We can also dialogue about what is antichrist in these movies just as much as we can gospel themes. But it's important because our children and ourselves are engaged in the culture. It's important to understand how you can engage even these movies with a, a, a understanding of what is gospel, what is anti-gospel. And, um, you know, all of these, these, these anti-gospel movies that are coming out recently, uh, uh, Eternals and... Um, even even the, the new Lightyear ones, they're they're low grossing. Lightyear has tanked. I don't know if you know this. I'm getting off 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 status here, but uh, it has tanked. Why? Because it doesn't have a gospel theme to it. It doesn't. People are attracted to the gospel. So it appears that this idea of an Avenger, uh, Nahum understood in 650 BC. As he describes God as the great avenger who is slow to anger and great in power, but by no means clears the guilty. This is the beauty of the gospel. The God who by no means clears the guilty. Yet in his grace and mercy has provided a substitute for his wrath. That's Jesus, so that we can receive salvation, God's glory and salvation through judgment, the cross. So let's look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 together. 
And if you're wondering what that was, it was a dryer sheet in my uh, coat pocket. So <laughs> gotta, love, gotta love it. Just real here. We're gonna stand in reading Nahum chapter one, verse seven. Real people doing real things for the glory of God. Nahum chapter one, verse seven. The Lord is good. Amen. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. For you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and passed away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and I will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Old Testament prophecies that declare who you are. And Father, we, we as a people want to know you. And in fact, by understanding Your judgment against Nineveh, we can see your glorious salvation for us. Help us to see that this morning. Help us to be enriched and filled with the spirit of the living God to live for your glories all these days, even if they are hard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can remember... um, Uh, I think maybe my only time to go to a Monday night football game. If you've never been to an NFL game, it's quite the experience. But I went in 2014. The Kansas City Chiefs were playing the New England Patriots. Pretty good game at the time. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. If you don't know who that is, that's okay. It's just really uh, important football players. Um, and they were playing at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, one of the loudest stadiums on the planet Earth. Uh, my father-in-law actually was coaching for the Chiefs at that time. He was the linebacker's coach, and it was on. Jordan and I went, and uh, we had a great team that year. The Chiefs did. Two Pro Bowl linebackers, Justin Houston and Tom Baha Lee, and they got after Tom Brady that day. He ended up throwing two interceptions, only passed for 159 yards, and the Chiefs won 41 to 14. They blew them out in a big game 
in 2014. I can remember during one point in the game, it was probably earlier on when it wasn't such a blowout, but it was a third down. That means that the Patriots were trying to get a first down. It was a passing down, meaning it was third and long. And the jumbotron read, get loud. And the stadium of 76,000 people, 76,416 to be exact, started screaming at the top of their lungs. And as they roared, they put up this decibel reader on the screen. And the decibels went to 142.2 decibels as it became the loudest stadium on the face of the earth. Yes, I was a part of a Guinness Book of World Record. Yes, thank you, thank you, yes. We'll, 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 uh... But after the game, right, 41 to 14, huge, loud, we just dominated Tom Brady. The headlines read, Patriots humbled by Chiefs. Raises questions. Is Tom Brady finished? (laughs) Embarrassing Monday night football blowout lost to the Chiefs sounds death knell for Patriots dynasty. At that time, Tom Brady was 36 years old. There was a talk of him being too old, not fast enough. We all know what happened next. That very year, Tom and the Patriots would win the Super Bowl. And then he would win it a preposterous three more times and continue playing into today where he's 44 years old. Two more times with the Patriots, once with the Bucks, um, and even going to the Super Bowl one more time and losing. After that game, no one would have said the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl. Just in the day of Micah's prophecy, no one could see that Nineveh, the capital city of the mighty Assyria, would be destroyed. But God is showing us something through the judgment and the oracle of Nahum. That anyone who comes up against the Lord, it will not turn out well for them. Matthew twenty thirty says this, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So the Lord is telling us through the prophet Nahum even today that we must be on the Lord's side, that we must be a people who take refuge in him, that we must not be a people who find ourselves against God, against his word, against His Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Look at what it says again. Let's read it again after we've, we've talked about it. Verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. He keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea. And makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. And the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And the next statement is this. Verse 7. Look at it with me. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. You see, we must understand that the justice and righteousness of God is good. You see, the guilty not going unpunished is part of the goodness of God. You see, God does not let the wicked go unpunished. He brings judgment upon evil and it is good there is beauty in this because it highlights the character and nature of God he brings justice for evil and thus when we see the good news of the cross of Christ God's wrath and judgment poured out for sinners. Our God is good. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. This is our first point this morning. God's people take refuge in the Lord. Look what it says. He knows those who take refuge in him. He knows who his people are. Amen? He knows who seeks shelter in God himself. The promises are all over scripture for those who run to the Lord for safety. Let me, let me read a few of them for you. Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and works for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. You see the experience of God's grace filling your life often hangs on whether you will take refuge in God 
or you will doubt his care and run to other shelters, to other covers that will that you think will bring you peace. You see, doubting the goodness of God leads one down a path of seeking other shelters. This is, this is the temptation in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Does, does God really know what is best for me? God knows that you will be like him if you take and eat of this fruit. Don't you think that he's holding you back? This has played out in our world in which we live. Is it best for me to obey God's word? Or or should I find refuge in some other thing, person, idea, or whatever I make out to be my God? I mean, for a single person, right? Maybe you're asking the question, "Should should I wait for my spouse? Do you trust the goodness of God? You may be saying, should I, should I go all in and making as much money as I possibly can? Or should I trust in the goodness of God and his favor in my life? Should I place all my time into this Relationship, even if it's not glorifying to God, maybe should I place my time and effort and money into this political party? Will it fulfill? Will it be my refuge, my shelter? Will the government be my refuge and shelter? It's interesting, in times of trouble, What or whom do you run to? For those who take refuge in God, the promises are many and rich. Psalm 34, 22. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 2 Samuel 22, 31. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Psalm 2, 12. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. No, God may, may even bring about trouble in your life so that you can take refuge in him, so that you can learn to take refuge in him. Listen to this, Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. That's, that's what David is saying. It, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your word. The principles of your word. That I might go underneath your authority in my life by obeying your word. Yeah, I thought it was funny too. Verse 8, here we go. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end 
trouble will not rise up a second time for they are like entangled thorns like drunkards as they drink they are consumed like stubble fully dried for from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord a worthless counselor thus says the Lord though they are at full strength and many they will be cut down and passed away though I have afflicted you I will afflict you no more This is our second point this morning is thus, God will not clear the guilty. God will not clear the guilty. You know, this is a shocking reminder to many of us. Some some of you may have never even heard some of the things that I'm talking about. These deep theological truths of who God is and what he does. But adversaries of the Lord will be brought to nothing. You see the flood reference here, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. The flood reference is to remind God's people of the judgment, the character and nature of God in which he's already done, yet preserving a few so that the one would be able to come. If you actually understand this concept of God's glory and salvation through judgment, it's seen throughout the pages of scriptures as the character and the nature of God who has grace and mercy, yet by no means clears the guilty, is unfolded for us in all of the pages of Scripture. You see, when Moses was on the mountain, he says, show me your glory. And God passes by Moses and he declares himself to Moses. I want to read you what it says in Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God mercifully and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that is where most people stop. When they understand the character and the nature of God himself, they stop right there. He's a forgiving God. He's a merciful God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. But that's not the end of God declaring himself. And we can't miss it. What does he say? He says, but who will by no means clear the guilty? God is just. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly good. No one would ever let a murderer go who is just and good. The Lord is slow to anger, verse 3, and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. He's referring back to Exodus 34. How can this be? How can God be loving and steadfast and forgiving sin 
yet by no means clear the guilty when it comes to the sinner. How can this be? And we have seen this time and time in the Old Testament. As God brings about just judgment for sinners and it exemplifies, it magnifies the good news message of the gospel that God in his infinite grace came down from heaven to be born as a man to pay the penalty of sin to take on the very wrath and judgment of God upon himself so that sinners could be made righteous. You see, that is how God did his own nature, how he functions and carries out his own nature of grace and mercy and wrath. And he pours out his love and displays it by taking the guilt upon himself. You see, when we read this book, we we say, oh, Nineveh is Iran. Nineveh is North Korea. Nineveh is is whoever, Russia at the time. Putin is Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. No, no. Nineveh is me. Nineveh is you. We are sinners in the hands of an angry God, and he loves us. And he died for sinners We are Nineveh when it comes to our sin. We are enemies of God deserving his wrath. And yet Jesus takes our place. Jesus in my place. It's the way that judgment and grace intersect. We've gone over this multiple times. So what does that mean for us? Church, what does that mean? What is the next step? Now we understand these concepts of judgment and grace in in God's plan. But what does that mean? 2 Peter 3 tells us, what it means. But do not overlook this fact, one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He tells us why. People aren't zapped when they sin. Why their judgment doesn't come immediately? Because he's patient. Nineveh the first time. He's patient with these people the first time. He relents of his disaster the first time. Why? Because he's slow to anger. He's abounding in grace and love. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? So God is telling us to live for his glory because you know that the end is coming. Live in holiness and godliness. This is actually our theme for the year. 
It's a good time in the middle of the, of the year to remind ourselves as people who are being prepared for eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, this is our theme. And one of our members is exemplifying this with her life. Debbie Baker has been living this out in her life. She's watching this morning online. She's been battling ALS. And I want you to know that she has been a tremendous inspiration to me and I know many in our church. For those that know her, every time I visit her and Jim, I am strengthened in my faith by her faith in the Lord God Almighty. Even though it's a very difficult disease, her outer self is, is wasting away Her inner self is being renewed day by day. She continues to walk with God in joy as she waits to be with the Lord, knowing she will experience an eternal weight of glory. We can all pray for her and Jim as we know the Lord is with them. But send her your love. Send her a text. Send her a card. Thank you, Debbie, for watching faithfully these last few months. If we look in our text of scripture, there are a lot of yous here in verse 12 and 13. Though they are full, they are at full strength and many talking about Assyria, they will be cut down and passed away. Though I have afflicted you, Jerusalem, Jerusalem or Judah, I will afflict you no more. <clears throat> the NIV includes the wording here, Nineveh and Israel, to kind of show you who the you is talking about. But in the Hebrew, it's not included. And it's not included to show anonymity through this first part of the text to show us something. It's to show us that anyone who is an enemy with God, no matter who it is, will be destroyed. And anyone who is with the Lord, who seeks shelter from the Lord, who takes refuge in the Lord, will be saved. Look at verse 11. From you, talking about Nineveh, came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. This, this could be in reference to Sennacherib, who's the, who was the king who shouted up to the people of Assyria um, that their God could not save them. It, it may be somebody else, but it's whoever goes against God himself. And the worthless counselor stands in contrast to the wonderful counselor, amen? 
Isaiah speaks of the, the wonderful counselor who is to be Christ, the Messiah. So anyone against the Lord is anti-Christ. It's not just a warning to him, but any person who uses power, status, material wealth against the weak in society sets himself up as opposed to God. So let's look at verse 13. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave for you are vile. Just as Christ has set us free from the bondage of the enemy of sin, God declared Israel free from the bondage of Assyria. All the things that make life meaningful would be touched the power, by the power of God. Religion, family, power, life itself are lost on those who rebel against God. God is slow to anger. He is patient and sometimes too patient for us. But in the end, he will make things right. You see, Nineveh was allowed to rule and reign for a large time. A long time. But Nahum tells us God has not forgotten the wickedness of Assyria. He may be speaking to some of you this morning that you could think that you can continue to live in your sin. That God doesn't really care. And I would say that he does. He may be patient in his judgment for you, but he will come. Verse 13, the good news is here. Verse 15, behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly caught off. This is our last point this morning. There is good news in God's salvation through judgment. The idea of this good news, this person, the feet of him upon the mountains who brings this message is a runner who brings the message that victory has been won. He comes from the battlefield with the shout of victory. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That word peace, who publishes peace, shalom in Hebrew, it's one of the most remarkable words in the ancient biblical language. Its meaning is more profound than just a cessation of war. It refers to wholeness, completeness, total well-being, 
Think of uh, a newly married couple. We just had a wedding. Uh, the Leg Jacks just had a wedding in our, in, in our church family. And you, you're offering peace to a, a newly married couple. You're, you're offering them all good things of life. That's what you're offering when you say shalom. And God is saying all of these things come upon his people. Those who dwell with him. You see, Paul takes this in Romans chapter 10. And he takes it not only about God's salvation from Assyria God's salvation from the power of sin and death. He declares us, the church, to be declarers of the good news. God's victory over his enemies. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Church, we're just proclaimers of good news. That our God has defeated the enemy of sin and death, that we can break from the bondage of sin no longer have to live under its destruction. That we have a new king and his name is Jesus. And he brings us the Holy Spirit to live in the power of God. To live for his glory. That deserves thanksgiving and worship, don't you think? That's what it says. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. For never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. You're completely saved. You're completely saved from sin. You do not have to worry about being slave to sin again. God has freed you from that. Now worship him. In joy and thanksgiving. Declare the victory as the people of God. Preach the good news. Death has been defeated. Sin has been paid for. Because God is our avenger. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and your truth out of Nahum. That brings us back to the cross of Christ. That leads us to celebrate as the people of God your great salvation. Help us to be a people who leave here with joy that fills our hearts, peace that envelops our soul as we are reminded of the great God who does not forget us. He has not forgotten our enemies. He has not forgotten us. Father, there are some who are living their life as an enemy of God, living their life under the shelter of things, ideas, 
their idols in their life. And we pray, Father, that they would realize that they are against the Lord. That they would turn from their wicked ways, repent, and turn to the gracious, loving God who wants to give them shelter and peace because he has brought good news of the cross of Christ. That he has not abandoned you, Assyria, to the grave. Lord, help us to be reminded of your grace and mercy as we sing together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.